Welcome everybody to Secret Sauce, the show where we hear real-time insights from industry leaders. I'm Carly Iacono, and today I am so pleased to be joined by Joel Tomlinson, the Managing Director of Aries NetLease Strategy. Joel, welcome to the show. How are you today? I am good, Carly. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Absolutely. I am really interested to hear all of your insights and what's going on in the sort of alternative asset manager space. Cause this isn't, I'm not sure that we've had any guests on who have similar roles. So thank you for making the time today and we're excited to hear what you have to say. Let's start with just a brief overview of Aries for our listeners who've not worked with the firm before and your role there. Sure. Well, Aries management is huge. So it's a leading global alternative investment manager with offices all over the globe. I think we've got 35 offices all over the globe. Today, we've got approximately $360 billion in assets under management. The company has grown dramatically over the last couple of years. In 2021, we added, I think, about 45% to our headcount and then another almost 20% in 2022. So the company's grown dramatically. My partner, Ben Fox and I, who run Aries Net Lease, have been on board for just over two years now. So we joined early in 2021 and uh, it's, been a, it's been a fun time to be here, but huge company. And what we do is, is a pretty small piece within that broader universe. And, and that's something I wanna dive into first. So we've really seen this trend across lots of alternative asset managers of exploring that lease. Whereas before it wasn't really looked at um, as a mainstream asset class, but in the last, let's call it five years, everybody seems to be jumping into this space. Why do you think that is? Yeah, you're telling me. So I've <laughs> been, I'm too old now. I've been in this business for a long time, but I would argue that a ton of capital has really poured into the net lease industry over the past decade plus. I look back at like the, the GFC, the financial crisis, and that was what I would call kind of the non-traded REIT boom, where net lease to me was, I mean, I remember trying to do sale lease backs and cold calling groups back in the you know late 90s, early 2000s, when no one was really even familiar with the concept back then. But after the GFC, a ton of money kind of flocked to the space and why it's sort of seen as a flight to safety, long-term income streams secured by real estate. There's somewhat of a belief around an inflationary hedge and the underlying collateral or real estate that you own. And typically there's, there's growth. So also an inflationary hedge, historically speaking, in that you have growth in during the life of owning that that asset and that income stream but it's not it, it's it's only gotten more and more popular and and granted we're in a really unique world which i know we'll talk about a little bit more right now but um there's just been a ton of capital coming into the space i don't think there's anything unique about it maybe the alternative asset managers finally getting their foot in the door is a little bit more of a recent phenomenon but um tons of capital from all over the globe has really been pursuing that lease and we've seen it evolve and change and grow not only here in the domestic US, but also significantly in, in Europe as well. And I've seen a few different ways that similar companies are structured, right? Some net lease groups that these alternative asset managers sit in the real estate department, some are in the credit team, some have dedicated funds. Share your thoughts on why there are so many different structures and what the benefits or detriments might be to each. 
Uh, yeah, no, great question. I, I can't really comment on what anyone else does or why, but I can tell you that at, at Aries, so the net lease platform within Aries is a hybrid that sits between Aries alternative credit platform and Aries real estate platform. And if you think about net lease broadly, it, it's a hybrid investment instrument. It's really kind of part real estate, part credit. It, the way, the easiest way to describe it is the longer the income stream, the more you're going to really focus on the credit and the likelihood that you're going to be able to collect that income stream. The shorter the income stream, if I'm buying a lease with only two or three years left on it, the more I'm going to really focus on the real estate and how easily can I release this real estate? What's the demand for it? How mission critical is this to, to the company? Um, but that's where within our world, you know, that's where NetLease sits. Why other groups do what they do? I don't know, but that's how we're structured. And what you're doing is obviously working with those numbers. So we uh, are, we're staying busy. We're staying congrats. busy. Congrats. Congrats. I, and that really does make my job interesting because there's so many different investment theses out there and so many different corporate structures that when we have an interesting deal for, for sale, how every group looks at it is not the same. So thanks no. for sharing your perspective on it. Yeah. Always nice to hear the strategy. So let's move to current market conditions, something that we are all a little bit tired of talking about, but <laughs> of course affects our, our day to day. So we have obviously very limited liquidity in the market. We have extremely high interest rates, maybe not relative to historical numbers, but in the near term. How is that affecting your sort of approach to the market? And do you think any anyone is benefiting from the challenges in the debt market currently? Yeah. No, I mean, look, at it's a it's a really unique time that we're in right now. I think in my entire career, I, I haven't seen it quite like this. I mean, there's the GFC which was a little different because the credit markets were just completely shut down. The market we're in right now, credit's just been dramatically repriced. Um, how is that for us? I mean, again, I can speak specifically just to Aries. For us, what something that's unique about Aries is we view the net lease universe as we can participate in any element of the capital stack. And so what I mean by that is if if interest rates have moved, call it three or 400 basis points and LTVs have gone down and lenders are becoming much more conservative and cap rates have moved, call it 50 to 150 basis points or not nearly as much, we are, we're not forced to be an asset aggregator or go out and just make bets solely on equity. Instead, we'll start to shift our focus a little bit and say, maybe we want to be in the debt. Maybe we want to be in the senior tranche of the capital stack, or maybe we want to look more at the pref or, or mezzanine piece because the risk adjusted returns are better there. And that's something that's that's very unique to Aries. I mean, a lot of other groups, I think, are just more asset aggregators and figuring out how do we acquire more? How do we get more? Which, you know, levered returns right now are obviously not nearly as attractive as they were a couple of years ago. So we sort of ebb and flow and shift. And, and the other thing that's, I'd say, unique is we are big on JVs. In other words, we were a small team within a massive platform and have a lot of capital to look to deploy. But we kind of look at different experts in each sector and strategies that we believe in. So if the basic call it asset aggregation returns or market is not really working, or we don't feel that the returns are adequate, we can shift gears and focus more on, again, other pieces of the capital stack or 
let's say opportunistic JVs that that we believe in. We believe in the strategy. We've done one deal that was by uh, acquiring a, a bunch of vacant assets that we were either selling or releasing. That's not something that a typical REIT or uh, fund, net lease fund, would be doing. So we sort of have to shift gears and that's what honestly makes things a little bit interesting and fun as well so you have ultimate opportunity because of the scope of your platform and flexibility so with all that behind you what are you going after where do you see opportunity in the next 12 months or even six months let's yeah in your term what's exciting impossible question um i i think we're we're Two all months. yeah we're, we're, we're all it in we're all pretty confident the the fed's going to do another little hike here but um and, and obviously the banking sector has been in a lot of turmoil but for for private credit that creates opportunities and so what we are going to do we're just going to see each day as opportunities come where where are we excited about them where do we like them i can't comment too specifically on what we're actively doing but i'm i'm pretty excited about some of the things we have going on right now um the, the one thing that really kind of needs to change for us is cap rates need to move more. And I used to always say, sitting on all these panels and everything, that yes, interest rates are starting to move. And historically, there's a nine-month lag from when you start seeing interest rates move to then cap rates moving. We're in a very unique time right now. And that, as I mentioned earlier, interest rates have moved considerably. And cap rates have moved a little bit but right. not really enough. And so then you kind of have to ask yourself, well, what's causing that lag? And, and our friends in the, the public REIT universe are really hanging in there. I mean, they're, they're buying all cash. Their stock price has, has hung in there for the most part. I think they're all kind of, call it slightly down to maybe flat since the beginning of the year, but they're managing to stay active. And while their cost of capital has gone up, call it ranging in the mid five to mid six range, that just means they're able to deploy in the mid six to mid seven range. My point being, there's kind of a not, I think that's sort of the last domino to fall in the institutional landscape. Let's call it like the hundred million dollar and up size transactions before we're going to really see cap rates starting to move. So where, where do we see opportunity? It's just what, what are the right risk adjusted returns at the moment in time, given the opportunities that are, that are in front of us? So I want to dig into that just a little bit more before we move on. Mm -hmm. The public REITs needing to slow down their buying activity as the last domino to fall. What would trigger that, right? Okay. But yeah, time out. They don't they cannot slow down their buying activity and they don't right. need to slow down their buying activity, but I would just say let's take a couple steps back. Maybe a more interesting way to look at this, which shocks me. And look at all of us can look at our stock portfolios and scratch our heads as to why is the stock doing so bad or why is the stock doing so well. But if you look specifically at the public REIT universe, something I look at as just an individual investor is I look at the dividend yield. So what am I getting in return relative to what I'm paying for a stock? And, and broadly speaking, if you look across kind of net lease REITs, you're looking at four and a half to five and a half percent dividend yields. That's shocking. That's shocking. Why? I can go out and put my money in a savings account in an Amex account where my money is liquid. It's not at risk or subject to any share value. And I can easily get a four and a quarter, four and a half percent return. My point is, 
it's i think that the reits they're they're priced very aggressively still their cost of ac- equity has gone up but not not nearly as much as the cost of debt and that's allowing them to continue to buy at at cap rates that makes sense for them and what they're doing makes sense for them but my my point is that reit share price needs to change before we really see their pressure on their cap rates go up but what's the trigger what makes it actually change it's i was people, thinking that it's, it's logical it's just it's market news now a great great question and uh, i guess it's a number of dominoes to fall that could be more distress. And, and again, when I'm talking about net lease REITs, I'm not going to comment on anyone specifically. Everyone's portfolios are different and have different levels of stress or exposure to different tenant groups, et cetera. But it, it doesn't, I mean, as we've seen over the last 20 years, it, it could be one bad piece of news, one uh, missed earnings number that causes sort of a domino effect where you see REIT share prices start to to tumble. And the other funny thing is they all trade kind of in tandem. Of course, some REITs are sort of up one day, sort of down another day, but they all kind of trade sort of similar and in tandem with each other. So anyway. Very inter- interesting perspective on what's actually driving the market. Um, and I don't know that we've heard before. So well, for- I'm, I'm myself, I'm scratching my head. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> why are, how is this deal being priced like this? Right, right. <laughs> exactly. Why is it still being priced like this? Yes. It's true. So let's, let's shift gears now uh, away from the, the public reads and strategies and talk about asset types specifically. Would you touch office? And I know you can't talk about Aries granular strategy, but what's your view on the asset class in general? Yeah, I mean, I'm not shedding any light on anything here. I think that the office sector broadly and in general is viewed pretty negatively right now. I mean, while I am sitting at my office today, I think a lot of the workforce, especially post-COVID, it's just changed the way that that people work. And is office, is there really the demand or need for office like there has been historically? And again, not saying anything profound. Um, our view is not positive on office. Having said all of that, by no means does that mean we are not going to look at office investments. I think there can actually, I think everything is a function of price. Everything is a function of risk adjusted return. Everything is a function of alternative uses. What else can I do here? Can I turn this into condominiums or apartments? Or what are the other demand drivers in this market? What is the underlying rent? Um, our, our, our net lease team sits out in San Diego and we're in the Del Mar Heights submarket right here behind me. And it is surprisingly and shockingly a high demand, very, very healthy office market right now, which that's not necessarily the case for a suburban Kansas City office in a two or three story building 30 minutes outside of Kansas. It's it's kind of, you got to peel back the layers and and but everything is kind of a, a function of value. I would say it's not a sector we're pursuing aggressively by any means, but we would we would look at office as, assuming we like uh, like the profile. Love it. You're going back to your first statement on flexibility and finding the right deal. So you're staying true to that through and through. Makes sense. Absolutely. Let's touch on another sector that I know you know an awful lot about, um, and that is the automotive sector. For those of you listening mm-hmm. who didn't see the huge news, Aries bought cars. I think it was, what, $3.8 billion transaction in 2022. Massive. All right. Yep. Massive deal. Uh, huge win for you guys. Um what are you thinking on the, the automotive sector moving forward? 
Yeah, no, look, great question. Overall, we, we love that transaction. It's a big piece of what we did. Um, our view on the sector is incredibly positive. And again, you look at all this noise and news and press about, you know, consumers and, and borrowing costs and everything, but it's, it's a sector that over a long period of time has done very well. And we think that the tailwinds are very strong. And, and the last thing I, I'd comment specifically to that transaction is that that was not an asset aggregation where we're kind of sitting on a bunch of assets wondering what to do, but it was a platform transaction where we also acquired the management team and their uh, expertise we have the ability to benefit from. So we're really optimistic about the, the sector, that investment, how it's done and how it will continue to do uh, going forward. Exciting. You got a good group of people too. I know them well. So congrats. Yes, we okay. did. Yes, we did. Monster Thank deal. You. <laughs> how are you changing individual asset pursuits given market conditions? And what I mean by that, are you looking for higher annual rent bumps to outpace inflation? What kind of broad things are you trying to work into deals that maybe were different, you know, four years ago, five years ago? Yeah, I, I mean, it, great question. I'd say there, there's no doubt that there's much more of a focus right now, um, including, I mean, for, for us specifically on, let's just call it growth. And growth is absolutely, utterly and absolutely necessary. Now, what does that mean exactly when you start peeling back all the layers of underwriting? It's like if I'm buying, let's say I've got a credit deal and a long-term lease and arguably an above market rent that's growing wildly, to some extent that may put a little bit more pressure on that income stream or residual value at the end of the lease. So that's something we're sensitive to. But given obviously inflation, the environment, the concerns, it, it's there There has to be growth. There's no black and white answer though to what it is. Does it need to be 2% annual? Is it 10 every five? Is it three or 4% annual? It's just, it needs to be there. And then we take everything else into account. I think back at like, in the net lease landscape and a lot of retail investments such as drugstores, a lot of those leases were flat and are flat still. You go out there shopping for Walgreens or CVS, just assets and existing in-place leases. That's kind of a scary place to be right now, to be buying a lease that's flat over theoretically a 50, 60, 70 year period, depending on what options that tenant has to continue to just exercise. So from an investment standpoint, stay away from flat not where we would want to be unless it's a cbs or walgreens that i happen to be marketing with other wonderful deal points that absolutely <laughs> and i've got a 10 cap <laughs> offer that's good as gold <laughs> no it's valid flat leases are really challenging in today's time so i'm, I'm not surprised they're, they're challenging and, and on i mean on top of that i think just sectors change industries change right. and and it businesses change so those are all things you need to take into account when we're looking at any new opportunities Talk to me for a minute about deal size. Uh, obviously, we just touched on the cars deal, which was huge. Are you revising down the minimum purchase price in any way of deals to go after due to financing constraints in the market for these mega deals? Or have yeah. you really not, not had to change that strategy? Uh, great question. And, and I would argue, absolutely, we are not reducing or going down. I mean, if, if you look at the net lease landscape, I mean, we... we we kind of play in sort of the mid to larger size deal size range, but are we 
given the economic environment and the challenges that that anyone and everyone has right now with debt or debt that makes sense, are we reducing our ticket size? Absolutely not, because it doesn't really do anything other than um, you go into call it $10 million and below deal size you're competing against a massive universe of buyers and tons of capital that is not necessarily as prudent or judicious, peeling back all the layers as as, as we maybe tend to be and the, the bets that we make. So I would argue, no, it, it hasn't really changed anything as much. Um, it kind of ties back in a little bit to what I mentioned earlier, though. It, it, it may be on a very considerable deal, uh, a large deal, where we're not real comfortable with the pricing, we might shift gears and look at providing a different piece of the capital stack, if that makes sense. That would be more where the the change has been, not at all as it relates, I'd say, to size. So more the structure, maybe bringing in partners or acting in a mez piece, or we're just kind of stream, changing your overall. Or pursuit. yeah, like I mean, I mentioned earlier, we do a lot of JVs. It, it's kind right. of like, let's just say there's a broadly marketed process and it's a larger deal and we're not comfortable with pricing in the direction it's going and maybe we were in a position where we're like look here's our price here's where we are comfortable but everything starts to shift we'll kind of take a back seat and just say if there's a need on another side of the deal or financing the deal we're interested we like the deal maybe we just don't like where the equity is being priced so that's right. how we that's where we kind of will shift gears what's one challenge you're facing in your business and how are you overcoming it I know interest rates, financing constraints, but it sounds like you have a lot of great workarounds with the platform. Anything else that's really just been a, a sticking point for you? No. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't know that there's um, a, a challenge. I think you just need to ebb and flow and shift gears and, and mm -hmm. really focus on deploying capital where it makes sense as a fiduciary to the, the funds that you're trying to serve. But, you know, selfishly, I wish that we were in an easier world just because I think all of us that are deal people love deals and I would like to be doing more deals and higher volumes. And that's easier to do when debt pricing and cap rates make sense. So that's kind of more of a, a selfish goal, but it, I'm fortunate and happy to be staying very busy over here with the work that we've already accomplished at Aries and the work that we're continuing to do. So there aren't really challenges as much as just, uh, I would love to be doing more volume, but I think that will be true the rest of my career. I couldn't agree more on both points, <laughs> uh, especially, right? Especially in your shoes, yeah. Especially as a broker, we love to stay busy. We love the deals and uh, like it when the market is cranking, but Absolutely. We're, we're certainly getting through now. This was fantastic insight into Aries and the strategy and your view on the market. Is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners before we wrap up for today? No, uh, nothing else that I have. Um, I guess one last comment or thing worth mentioning on, on Aries is we do uh, something that's unique that it's worth mentioning. I know we like to mention it is that we do um, fund from, from our series of funds and in the alternative credit universe, we have a nonprofit tie-in to fund various global health and education initiatives. And that's something that I think we'd love to see more groups out there doing, but have a, a, a tie-in to, to further education and health initiatives across the globe. It's something that's unique to Aries and, and is worth mentioning. But that's great to, to hear that you're taking an active role in some of these broader causes. Really nice to hear. And I agree. Yep. Hopefully we'll see more of that. Joel, this was fantastic. We truly appreciate your time. And again, thank you for sharing all the insights into Aries. I hope it is an extremely productive 
last uh, part of the year for you and look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks again. Thanks, Carly. Love the time. Yeah. Take care. Have a great day. You as well. To everyone listening, that was Secret Sauce. Thanks for tuning in and we hope to see you again very soon. Have a great day, everyone. Oh, 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 o